Wednesday. We're giving out all the turkeys on Tuesday evening. And so um, it's kind of, the, kind of the end of the game rally time. You know, it's the fourth quarter, and we've got to kind of push over uh, to get that win uh, at the last minute here. And so um, we've, had, we've had some funds come in to buy turkeys. We've had some turkeys starting to come in. Uh, but we still are going to need quite a few more. So if you're able to not just provide turkeys or funds, but uh, to work with some people uh, to help bring in some more turkeys or just get the word out, if you know some people that you can kind of uh, partner with, we'd just love for you to help us get the word out. It's a great opportunity. I was thinking about it this week about how we function as a church and how we as believers uh, uh, in Christ function as, as a bridge, so to speak. We, we go out into the world and we have this opportunity to kind of build a bridge between those who don't know God, those who are far from God, and, and God himself. And we become this bridge, this, this thing that these people can use to kind of get to know God. So we go out into the world and we're building all these bridges and we're giving people a chance to step up on this bridge and start to walk over into the kingdom of God. And we do that through the, through the way that we love them, the things we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, the things we're going to talk about today and, the next, and next week as well. The, the lives that we live and the light that we shine is how we can continue to build this bridge into the world and help them see Jesus Christ. And that's why we do things like tons of turkeys. We're trying to build bridges through the lives that we lead and the way that we are as a church so that we can hopefully start to lead people across that bridge and into the light of Jesus Christ. And so every time we have that chance, we're going to take advantage of it. And we're hoping that it'll be a chance for you, an opportunity for you to build a bridge with someone as well. And so you can go out and work with your coworkers, your neighbors, and you can kind of team together to provide some turkeys for some people who won't have one this Thanksgiving. And by doing that, you're actually building a bridge with those people you're working with, as well as the, the people that you're donating the turkey toward. So it's, a, it's not just a meal, and it's not just a turkey. It's a lot more than that that we're trying to do. So hopefully you will be a part of that. And if you haven't gotten a turkey in, if you uh, maybe can't afford one, then maybe you can find some people who can bring one and you can work with them. Even if you can't afford one, maybe you can work with three or four people and you can together provide a turkey, and that would go a long way. So that's what that's all about. And then uh, other announcements in here. One quick one is the decoration party next Sunday. After the service, we're going to decorate for Christmas. If you haven't noticed, you can listen to Christmas music now on 103.3. Isn't that a good thing? Aren't you happy about that? I know some of you are crazy and don't know how to think, and you think, well, we can't listen to Christmas music until after Thanksgiving. Well, you're just wrong. <laughs> and it's awesome to listen to Christmas music before Thanksgiving. But uh, we're going to be decorating for Christmas. At least we wait to decorate until after Thanksgiving here. Not at our house, but maybe. We'll see. But um, we're going to decorate, and then instead of doing like we've done in the past where we try to do a leftover uh, lunch where you bring in your leftovers from uh, Thanksgiving, we realize that people actually like to eat their leftovers from Thanksgiving, so they don't want to share. And it's okay if you don't want to share, if you want to be stingy and hold and hoard everything to yourself. We're not going to condemn you for that, so we're going to instead try to provide pizza for everyone who sticks around uh, on, Thanksgiving, or on next Sunday after Thanksgiving because we want to thank you for sticking around to do the decorating that none of us want to do. So just being honest, just telling you. Uh, anyway, it doesn't take long if we get a big crew here to do it, and uh, it's kind of fun. I'll, I'll be honest. My kids are looking forward to it. Anyway, we are, this whole month, we've kind of spent this whole month looking at this idea of living lives that shine. 
And we started at the very beginning with, with gratefulness, and on the first week of, the, of November, actually I think it was before that, we, we talked about the idea of gratitude, and it's not happy people who are thankful, but it's thankful people who are happy. And so we wanted to be thankful, grateful people, thankful for all that God has done, and live these lives of gratitude so that people are drawn to the gratitude that Christ is giving us because we're so thankful for the way that He has given us. And we, we talked about how in the Bible we're, we're commanded, we're given an order to give thanks in all circumstances. And that might be hard to do what, depending on the circumstance that you're in this morning, but we're commanded to give thanks in all circumstances, not just when things are good and going our way and we're getting what I want, but in all circumstances, in the trials, because in the trials, God is also using the trials to sharpen us, to shape us and mold us into who He wants us to be, into His image. And so we're supposed to be thankful in all circumstances. And we talked about, wouldn't it be cool, wouldn't it be radical if we at 6-8 Church were just known as the grateful people, the people who are thankful for everything? And we just started kind of shining the light of Christ out in the world because we're so thankful for all that God has done. And then the second week, we talked about living a life that shines and how we want to, as, as people here at 6 Day Church, live a life that begs the question, what does it look like if I live a life that makes people ask the question, why are you the way you are? Why are you such a freak? Why are you so weird? Why do you love people so much? Why are you so thankful? Why are you so joyful? What are all these things about you that I don't understand because I'm not that way and the world around me isn't that way? What would it look like if we lived a life that begged the question, why are you the way you are? And so we want to live a life that shines. And last week we talked about the whole idea of Micah 6.8 and what Micah 6.8 actually is calling us and commanding us to do and, and how that is all played out in the light of the fall back in the garden and how everything was corrupted and now the world sees everything through this veil of corruption and what we want to do is to help them see that God created them and designed them for a purpose and they are much more beautiful than the corruption that they see the world through and that the, that the life that God has for us, the life He intends for us is so much better than the corruption that we see everything through and we need to help people see through a different lens and that was what we talked about last week as we talked about Micah 6.8. Today we're talking about um, Genesis chapter 1 and Colossians chapter 3. So if you don't have the version app, you can open up to those. They will also be on the screen for you. We're going to go back, as we often do, all the way to the beginning, and I want to help set the stage because the stage needs to be set in this particular context of what we're talking about today. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, the Bible starts off this way. This is the very beginning of the Bible. This is the very beginning of God's story. And it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then the next 25 verses or 24 verses are spent talking about how on different days God did different things. And, and at the end of it, he would say, and, the, and God saw that it was good. And then we get all the way to down, down to verse 26 and we read this. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. And if you go back through that whole first chapter, which would be a great thing for you to do today, just go read the first chapter of Genesis. You'll see this is the first time that there's a repetition of the fact that God created something. Throughout all the other days of what he created, he doesn't repeat what he did. 
he just says, and God created, and this, was, and this was good. And then he moves on to the next day, and on the second day, God did this, and on the third day, God did this, and he saw that it was good. But then on this day, he gets to this, and he repeats himself because it was significant. He says, let us make man in our image, and then they, he repeats it in verse 27. So God created man in his own image. The, the writer tells us again, in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. It seems to be pretty significant that God created man and woman, men and women, male and female, in His image. It's a very important part of our story. And if you know us as a church, it's a very important part of our drive as a church because we'll say that, that God that created everyone in His image. And so they deserve to be treated with dignity and respect, but it actually goes further than that, and that's part of what we're working towards in 2017, some of the stuff we're going to talk about, how that drives us. Um, as a church, but God created everyone in His image, and so we as followers of Jesus Christ, people made in that image, have a re responsibility to treat and love and care for everyone else made in that same image as we are made in, in a dignified, honorable way. And that's what drives a lot of what we do here at 6A Church. But then as we've talked about so many times, that all the way back at the very beginning, Genesis chapter 3, there was this thing that we call the fall, and Adam and Eve disobeyed God. They rebelled against God, and they, they took of this fruit, and then they lived now in rebellion against God. And so all of us born into that live in rebellion against God. We're rebelling against God. We're not following His ways. We're trying to go our own way. And that's the biggest thing that I think one of the things that we need to talk about as a church and as the, a culture right now is how our drive, the thing that seems to be making the decisions for us besides corruption and fallen thinking is our selfishness. And we don't realize that our selfishness is actually something that, that feeds rebellion against God. See, when we're putting ourselves first and we're putting our, our own you know, agenda ahead of everyone else's agenda, we're actually rebelling against God. See, what did Jesus command? He said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your body, with all your strength. Your entire being is supposed to love God. The second command that Jesus gave is to love your neighbor as yourself. And there's no third command that says, if you think that your priorities are more important than your neighbor's, then you can trump your neighbor's needs and put yourself ahead of your neighbor. That's nowhere in Scripture. Instead, everywhere else what we see is as we're supposed to follow the example of Christ and humble ourselves and become obedient. Uh, somebody texted in, why does God say in our image instead of my image? That's a good question. Um, most, most people that believe uh, theologically what we believe would say that us would refer to the Trinity, the uh, the, three, the, the three parts of the, what we call the Godhead. By the way, if you have other questions and comments, you can send those in to 360-818-4399, and I'll try to address those. But, but he said, let us make man in our image. And I think one of the things that, that we would say as a church would be that that's referring to that, that God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit made man in the image of the Trinity. And so we have we have three distinct parts of our being, just like God does, but uh, we're in no way God, so don't ever confuse that. Just because we're made in God's image does not make us gods. But uh, I think that that's what he's getting at there when he said us. Thinking of the Trinity, I know that's kind of a big, uh, a big concept to understand, but the Trinity is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I heard the illustration, maybe this helps, is to think of water. 
you know, water is comprised of two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen, right? H2O is what we call it. And so, um, but there can be different forms of water. So you have ice, and you have liquid, and you have steam, right? There are these three components. They're all water. All three of them are water. They're all made up of H2O, but then they're all distinct different parts of, the tri- of, the, uh, of water, so frozen, liquid, and steam. And so the same is true for the Trinity, that they are all God. All three members of the Trinity are God, but then they're three distinct persons. They're all together as one being, but at the same time, they have distinct parts of them that makes them different. So God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, that's kind of the, big, the biggest thing we can get to um, Someone texted in, worst thing ever, Christmas shouldn't start until the 25th. Well, <laughs> my apologies. But um, so anyway, that kind of getting back, get way back on track here. But so we, we have, as followers of Jesus Christ, a responsibility to be selfless, not selfish. And when we're giving our selfish motives, the, the rights that they think they deserve, then we are really rebelling against God because the call God has put on our life is to selflessness. It's to God first and others second. And that plays into this idea of worship. And I've read this before you, for you before, but I want to remind you of this, of this concept for worship. Uh, Ravi Zacharias, one of my speakers I like to listen to, he uses this, temple, uh, this uh, definition for worship from uh, Archbishop William Temple. And he says, worship is the submission, we're in danger already, of all our nature to God. So worship starts at the very beginning. If we're going to truly worship God, we have to submit our entire nature to God. So that's why Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your body, with all your strength. A couple of different words in there. I just throw them all together into one definition. But we're supposed to worship God with our entire being. And so worship is the submission of our entire nature, our entire being to God. But then he goes on to kind of give it some more clarity and definition. It's the quickening of conscience by His holiness, the nourishment of mind with His truth, the purifying of imagination by His beauty, the opening of the heart to His love, and the surrender of will to His purpose. All this gathered up in adoration, the most selfless emotion of which our nature is capable. So it's it's the quickening of conscience by His holiness. We're allowing God to to control our conscience and use our conscience to drive us to live holy, godly lives. We're nourishing our mind with His truth, not the world's truth, not the lies that that, uh, the enemy wants to come in and, and sour our minds with, but we're nourishing our mind with His truth. Have we nourished our minds this week with His truth? One we're going to focus on a little bit this morning is the purifying of imagination by His beauty. If you look at the imagination of the world, it is in no way pure. It has no way been purified by His beauty. The opening of the heart to His love, is your heart actually open to receive His love? Or is there kind of a pride in there that's keeping you as the most important thing and you don't want to lay that down and receive the love that God has for you? Maybe there's some hurt there. There's a wound there. Maybe someone has taken advantage of you. Someone has hurt you in the past. There's something that is, that is keeping you from opening your heart to His love. What is that? And the surrender of will to His purpose. Have any of us truly surrendered our will to His purpose for our lives? These are all questions I think we need to ask. I'll share this definition later so you have it, but 
These are questions we need to ask ourselves. But then all of this, all of these things gathered up in adoration, the most selfish emotion of which our nature is capable. Are we selfless or selfish? Are we living our lives for God's glory or for our own glory? Because if we're not, then we're just, we're just continuing on the rebellion that started back in the garden. And it's important for us to get that to go where we're going today, so, so stick with me. I know we've talked about this a lot in the last couple of weeks, but it's important for us to get there and to understand that rebellion plays a big part into how we live our lives. And if you don't see it, all you have to do is look at the world around us living in rebellion against God. Nobody wants to live up to God's standards. They want to live to their own desires and their own pleasures. And the world offers and puts a lot of things in front of us that look good and they look enticing. But, but for those of us who are in Christ, what we know is that the love of God and the love of Christ far exceeds anything, any joy or any whatever satisfaction we're going to find that the world puts in, in front of us. So if we're going to live these lives that shine, we have to live lives that start by being selfless. All right, so what are we actually talking about today? Well, um, we're talking about something I haven't really talked about much here at 6 Day Church, but uh, many of you know, maybe some of you don't know, is that I spent a long time as a worship pastor before becoming a senior pastor here. And so I was constantly working with uh, what we called creative teams or worship arts teams. And so we were working to kind of integrate the arts into the life of the church. And so we had teams that we had put together of all different kind of arts and, and people who had different kind of skills. And we'd draw them all together and try to, from within the community, within the body of Christ, produce art for the glorifying, glorification, the, the ex exaltation of God within the body and kind of use that art, the, the skills, the gifts that God has given the people of the church to teach and train the people of the church. Uh, but we haven't really done a lot of that since I've been here. You know, my focus has kind of been on other things, haven't really been on that. But we want to start moving more in that direction towards creating a community of creativity here at 6A Church. Now, before you tune out because you say, I'm not creative, Stick with me because I have an argument to make. Typically, we, we reserve creativity for what we call the, quote, creatives, right? And we define the creatives as artists. We define them as people who paint, people who play instruments, people who sing, people who sculpt, people who, you know, uh, mold things out of clay. And, you know, we've kind of, we've kind of relegated creativity to what we consider the arts, and while it does require creativity to be an artist, in no way is creativity confined to the artist. And I want to go back to the beginning because it says God created us in His image. And in verse 26, we learn that. But if we go all the way back to the very beginning, we learn a little bit about God's nature and what was His nature. Who is God? God is a creator. God created all things. And in fact, if you look throughout all of Scripture, you'll see creator as something that God uses and as, the, as authors throughout Scripture use to define God. He's our creator, our maker. And if we are made in God's image, then that means that we are creators. Not like God. We cannot create universes. We cannot create earth or anything like that. And if you think you can, I would love for you to show it to me and prove it to me. Uh, because that would just be fun <laughs> to see you try to create a galaxy. But um, 
and I'm not talking about a Samsung Galaxy or anything like that. I know people make it. But anyway, we are creators. We can only create from the things that God has given us to create with, but we are creators. And all, maybe I've talked about in the past, but all you have to do is, is look at, at how we are contrasted with all the other things that God created. Look at the birds of the sky. Yes, they create nests, but what do they create every single time they create a nest? The same nest. Not exactly the same, but they use twigs and they use grass and they use all these things, and their, their design is essentially the same. The way they make it is essentially the same. Drive down the street today and look at all the different kinds of houses. Of course, you know, all neighborhoods are good because we've lost some of our creativity in trying to mass-produce houses, but you'll see that there is creativity in the way that we create our housing. And if you look at all the different styles of houses, you have the ranch and you have the bungalow and you have the craftsman and you have whatever other kinds of houses. There are, there's a lot of different creativity that's been involved. The way we design and create is much different than the way the animals create. They may create something, but they create in the same way in this, every time because their instincts have been designed to create that way. But we are creative in different ways. Now, I want to go to Colossians chapter 3 because this is going to frame the rest of our time this morning that we have together. Colossians chapter 3, verse 22 through 24, Paul has been talking to the church, and he's giving them all of these instructions on how they're supposed to live their lives, and kind of specifically how their lives are supposed to interact with those outside the kingdom of God. And just before this, you would, it would be great to go and realize about uh, all the different commands, be another great read. It's a short chapter for you to read. But here in verse 22, he says, "'Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything.'" And do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. I want to stop on that for just a minute because it's important for us to understand. For those of us in Christ, we have a responsibility to do what we're doing as though we're doing it for the Lord. It's just the argument he's going to make. And Paul is talking to slaves, and he's saying, don't just do what you're supposed to do when your master is watching you and you're trying to earn his approval and his favor, do it at all times. Now, you know, bond servants and slaves were a lot different than the idea of slave that we think of today, so we're not going to get into all of that, but it's not like, like we've defined slave in, in our country. But I think the application can be made that, that we, as followers of Jesus Christ, need to work hard even when our boss isn't watching. Now, this is one of the things we're going to actually start talking about more and more is, is how we work outside of this place reflects the life that Christ has given us. And so if we're, you know, if we're only working hard when our boss is watching, then that's not truly reflecting the light. The light of Christ works hard when no one is looking. And if we're going to shine the light, we have to learn how to shine the light outside of here in the ways and the, the principles that God has given us to shine. And if you, as, as somebody who has a boss, you go work for your boss, and you don't only work hard when they're watching, but you work hard when they're not watching, they're going to notice, and you're going to be able to shine the light of Christ to them. 
And that's what we want to start focusing on. We don't want people to kind of give up their day jobs and kind of come and spend all their time at church because that's not going to help anything. You are already planted out in the mission field, and God has put people around you that He wants you to shine the light for. So please don't ever think that we want you to come and spend all of your time at church. Instead, we want you to live your lives for Christ and shine your lights for Christ in such a way out in front of those who don't know Christ that you have an opportunity to win them to the kingdom of God through the life that you're leading. And so that's what we're gearing towards and the, and the things that we're doing. And are you, working, are you working for your boss? Are you doing these things in such a way that even when they're not watching, you're working because you're working for the Lord, not for men? Verse 23 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. And it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as though you're working for God Himself, not for humans, not for people. And since you know that, the, that you're going to receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward for the way that you're working for those outside the kingdom of God, have you ever stopped to ponder that and consider that? Here's the promise. You know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. What is the inheritance coming for if we do what He says? Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Part of receiving the inheritance that you're promised at the, you know, as, as a child of the King of the universe is, is coming through the way you work and live your life here because we know that it is the Lord Christ you are serving. If you were to look at your work this past week, if I were to look at my work this past week, would I be able to say that I was serving the Lord or was I serving men and just trying to do, you know, when we serve men, we just kind of do the bare minimum to get by, right? We just do what we can so that we have met the requirements. And I'm not going to go above and beyond. I'm not going to go past what I've been commanded to do. I'm just going to do what I've required to do so that I can go home at the end of the day. Can you imagine how much our lives would stand out if we as a body of Christ just went out into the world and started working in the opposite way? If we said, you know what, this needs to be done and it's not in my job description to do it, but no one else is doing it, so I'm going to do it. The thing that comes to mind when I think about that is the scene from The Office. I know I talk about The Office a lot, but if you, know, if you, were, if you were a fan of The Office, you'll probably remember this episode. There's this episode where, where Pam kind of, uh, comes back from being in New York, going to art school, and, and nobody has cleaned the microwave the whole time that she's been gone, the months and months that she's been gone. And so uh, she starts posting signs um, with somebody, essentially with somebody please clean the microwave. It's not, you know, she's saying it's not my job. I'm not going to do it. And then it just the whole episode kind of starts to revolve around this war that ensues between people posting passive-aggressive signs about who's going to clean the microwave, and in the end, somebody just has to clean the microwave. What if we were the kind of people that just jumped in and cleaned the microwave? What if we were the kind of people that just saw something that needed to be done, even if we're not going to get paid, even if we have to stay a little extra to get it done, we're going to get in there and we're going to do it. Not only will that reflect on you and your relationship with your boss, but it will reflect on all of the people around you. Of course, they'll probably start calling you names, but if they start to see that you're doing it with sincerity, then they will see that, hey, there's something different about this person. What's so different about you? Why, why do you do that? That's living a life that begs the question. That's the goal. That's what we're going after. 
as a church. Whatever you do, do it as though you're working for the Lord himself. But I want to come back to this idea of creativity because, yes, I want to talk about the idea of creativity when it comes to the arts. I actually have a picture I'd like for you to see. I've shown you this picture before. This is what's called a photo density map, and this is just the pictures that have been taken since smartphones have been around and they've been tracking it. But the, I, don't have the, I don't have the key up here, but the, the places in yellow are where there have been more pictures taken, then it kind of goes down through the reds and down to the blues and purples and the grays. There's just hardly any pictures have been taken in those areas. But if you look at this map, you'll see that the, the place where the most pictures have been taken, and remember, this is just since we've had smartphones, is in Europe. Well, what is in Europe is where the church was reigning at a certain time as the, as the primary dominant influencer of culture. And so if you go to Europe, which we hope to go to Europe someday and to be able to look at it, what you'll see is you'll see, you'll see massive cathedrals that took sometimes decades to build. But they did them with, with craftsmanship and they took their time and did it well because it was a work of art and they knew that they were working for the Lord and they wanted to present something that was worthy of their work of Him. And you can see it took... Um, who painted the Sistine Chapel? What? Michelangelo. Michelangelo. It took him like four years, over four years, to paint the Sistine Chapel, and he actually ended up suffering in terms of losing some of his eyesight and some other physical problems because he spent so long. And when you, when you talk to or when you read about how he did it, he's, there's this little part off in the corner that he spent a couple of months working on. And someone said, why are you spending so much time over there where no one's ever going to look? And his response was, God will see it. So he wanted to please God with his work. And as a result, what happened was the church dominated culture at that time. Now, what eventually happened was the church became corrupt, and they started taking advantage of people and their authority and their influence in culture and started moving away from what they were designed to do. But for a season, for a time, they had the influence to lead people toward God, toward Christ, through the influence that they had as a result of their artistry. And it's been a dream of mine that we, as a church, could kind of start going back in that direction. And there's something I really believe about us as a church is that I think God has put us in this community for a reason. He planted 6-8 Church right here for a purpose. And He has you here for a purpose. You're not here by accident. You are here by design. Everyone God has drawn here, He has drawn here for a purpose. And I think part of that is because He has given us a unique voice, a unique a unique message and a unique form of communication to share His hope and His life and His light with our community. And you know the language of the people, so to speak. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but if you go from church to church, you'll see each church is very different even though we're the same. We do a lot of the same things, but each church kind of has its own language, its own voice, its own way of saying things. And something that you do and learn here and you go and you try to experience the same thing at another church will be entirely different. The culture of that church is different. Every church has a different DNA, a different culture, a different form of communication. And I tend to think that that's by design. I think that God has designed us specifically to be able to communicate with the people God has connected to you and to this community that we're in. 
And so I think God has brought people here who can creatively communicate the message of God in a way that the people of Hazeldale and these neighborhoods around us and this community around us will be able to understand because we speak the language. It's just like when missionaries go off into a foreign land. My parents were missionaries in Brazil for seven years, and the first year that they went to go and be missionaries, they spent the year at language school. They went and they learned the language. They had to learn how to speak the language. They had to learn the culture and learn how to fit in with the culture. And that's what we have already been blessed and given here at Six Day Church because we're already here. We're already a part of this culture. God has brought you here, and you have the language down, and now you have the ability to share the love of Christ in that same dialect. If you go to another church on the other side of town and try to use the skills that God has given you, the language God has given you to use here, it's not going to translate the same way. I think that, is, that just plays into the massive, immense creativity of our God. When you look at the body of Christ and you look at how the body of Christ is spread out and diverse and it all resembles God, the entire body of Christ, all churches brought together resemble Christ to this day and age that we live in. And look at the diversity that exists from our church to churches in downtown Portland to churches in the deep south to churches over in India and churches in Africa. The diversity that exists expresses just how amazing and expressive and vast our God is. And that's, that's amazing. I hope you understand how, how big our God is. But I think we have an opportunity here as a church to start expressing this love that God has given us in a way that our community will be able to understand. So one of the things I'm hoping will happen today as a result of this morning is we'll be able to start to build a creative community here at the church. We'll be able to kind of bring some of the people we would call creatives, the ones who do the arts, together and use their creativity to start creating art that will start to speak to the world outside of this place as well as teach us the truths of God inside this place. So if you're interested in that, I'd just love for you to pull out that connection card and write that on there, just, you know, creative community and, and uh, put your name on it, and we'll get in touch with you as a part of that. But that's a very narrow part of what I'm hoping will happen. Because what I'm hoping will happen is that we will all understand that we are creatives. God has created us in His image as a creator. And so whether you would consider yourself a creative who does painting and music and poetry and, you know, all of the foofy things of the artist world, no, don't, I'm not trying to put down you guys who are creative, but there's also great creativity in, in someone who works with their hands. And being able to look at a problem and being able to solve it in a way that maybe others wouldn't be able to think of. Someone who can work with wood and build things out of wood, like this stage that I'm standing on. Somebody use their creativity to put this together in a way that would not only look appealing and pleasing to the eye, even though it needs to be painted, and it would also support me and other people who are standing on here. God gave that person, whoever did these things, the ability to do that. God gave you certain abilities and certain things that you can use for His glory to bring glory to His name. Maybe some of you are writers, and He's given you the ability to write and to share things, share thoughts through words that others wouldn't be able to do. But when you share it, it kind of brings other people to, into the same understanding that you have. Maybe you're a mechanic, and God has given you the ability to look at, at a piece of machinery and see what's wrong with it and be able to fix it, or you can help solve the problem. 
Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom, and as a stay-at-home mom, God has given you creativity to learn how to not only keep your sanity when your kids are going crazy and bouncing off the walls, but how to kind of create systems and structures so that you can get more done and be more successful. Or as a husband, God has given you creativity and ways that you can love your wife, and maybe you just haven't worked at that in a while, and God has given you the ideas. Or I think there's a thousand, maybe a million different ways that God has given us creativity. The question is, will we use it? Maybe there are some in here who are able to, to use their creativity to design apps that will connect the world or, or to, uh, to, to build technology that we've never had before, but it will do things that bring God glory. And if we, whatever we're doing, if we're working at it with all of our heart as though we're working for God Himself, God is going to receive the glory and people will be drawn to Him. Our ability to serve and to be creative and to love and selflessly give will draw people into Christ. It will serve as a bridge to those who don't yet know. We started off talking about selfish and selfishness, but I think we have to also understand that we can also use these things in a selfish manner. Yes, God has given us the ability to be creative and to create things, but we can use these things for our own good. We can use these things to, you know, to kind of build up our own ego or to make ourselves look sophisticated or we use these things to kind of pat ourselves on the back sometimes or or maybe instead of using these things for God's glory we're using them just to try to make a name for ourselves or get wealthy or who knows if we don't understand that our selfishness can easily taint this gift that God has given us to be creative, it will be easy to get off track. And all we have to do is look at the world for an example because the world does not use the creativity that God has given them. Yes, God created them in, their, in His image too. And they've been given this gift of creativity because they're created in God's image, but they're still under the curse. They're still fallen. They're still corrupted. So they're using that gift for selfish means. So you look at the artists of the world that, were, that are all famous and look at their attitudes for the most part. What are their attitudes? They're, well, look at how awesome I am. You guys should come and serve me and love me because I perform this great service in giving you this music or in giving you this art or whatever. And the world will use and always has used art for selfish reasons. They've taken art and they've, and they've twisted it away from something that can be used to glorify God and used it to be something that, that furthers the curse and the fallen and the broken nature of this world. And all creativity can be twisted and abused and used in that way. All creativity that God has given us can be used for personal gain if we're not careful. But for those of us in Christ, we have a duty and a responsibility. We have an opportunity to take this creativity that God has given us and use it to shine the glory where it goes and where it deserves to be shown, and that's on Christ himself. Because we understand that we were fallen and broken and we were under this curse, but because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross, he set us free. And so we want to use everything that God has given us to shine glory and light on the cross. And if that is creativity, then we want to use that creativity to shine the light of God's love that he's shown for us already on the cross. And whatever your skill, whatever your gift, whatever the thing is that God has given you, do it with all of your heart as though you're working for the Lord himself so that he receives the credit and not yourself. 
And so I'm hoping, I'm dreaming and I'm praying that, that we kind of become a community that operates in this way. And as I often do, as I love to do, because it's just kind of how God wired me, can you imagine what this would look like? Stop for a minute, if you will, just, just dream with me what this would look like if we were this kind of church. And we had the foundational understanding that God designed us and created us in His image, and He gave us the ability to create things for His glory so that He and His name could be made great. And we left this place today determined and decided to go out into the world and to live these creative lives for the purpose of glorifying God. And so God gives you creativity to solve problems at work, and He gives you the ability to look at a thing that needs a solution and come up with a solution that no one else is willing to do. What would it look like if we all left this place and we went into our workplaces and we'd use that creativity that God has given us in that way? What would it look like if we all left this place and we went to our bosses tomorrow morning? We came in early and we said, hey, what can I, what do you need me to do today? I mean, I know I've got these things to do, but is there anything else I can do to help out? And what if it required us to, you know, to stay a few minutes late, but we, we checked out before we did this thing? You know, I, I'm only getting paid to be here from 8 to 5, and uh, there's this thing that needs to be done, and so, you know, I'm going to go ahead and clock out, but I'm going to stick around for another hour and take care of this because it needs to be done. What if we had this selfless motive and agenda behind what we're doing that I'm going to do what needs to be done because it's the right thing to do because I'm working for God and not these men that are around me, these women that are around me? Can you imagine how that would shine the light of God's love into the darkest places that you work. I mean, think about most people's mindset when they go to work. It says, well, I, I'm just here. <laughs> uh, I'm just here so I don't get fined. Who was that? Marshawn Lynch, Seattle Seahawks. I know a bunch of Seahawks fans. And, you know. But you remember that last year when he was at, well, a year, year or two ago when he was at that press conference and his response to every question was, I'm just here so I don't get fined. Of course, it became big news because we all heard about it, but what if his response was, you know what, uh, let me answer your questions and uh, I'll stick around and just kind of do whatever I can to help you get the best story that you need for this, you know, this uh, game that's coming up. And you know, I'm going to do everything I can to help you do your job well. Because I make tens of millions of dollars and I have the money that I could, I don't really need, you know, any more money. I can just help you make more money. How can I serve you? How can I help you? And what if that was, even though we may need the money, <laughs> what, if that was our, what if that was our operating mentality? Is how can I serve you? You know what I think would happen? First, it would get us closer to that goal that we have of living a life that begs the question. People would ask, why are they the way they are? But I think what else would happen would, would be so much greater than that question being asked would be we'd start to see out of this community that we have all of these little fingers going out into the darkest places of this world and bridges being built into places in the community where we have no influence. We've talked about this before that the people who come to Christ come to Christ because of the people in the church. 
A very small percentage come to Christ because of the pastor. It's like 3 or 4 or 5% of the people ever come to Christ as a result of the pastor. But over 70, I think it's like 74% of people who actually come to Christ come because somebody they know loved them enough to share Christ with them, to invite them to church, to do something so that they would experience the gospel for the first time in their life. So what, what could happen if we started living these lives where we're building these bridges into parts of the community through the creativity and the skills and the gifts that God has given us in such a way that we're trying to draw people to Christ? I think it would be amazing to see the influence that the gospel could have in all of these different places through your life. And that's something I could never accomplish because I cannot possibly be in all the places that you are. That's something we as a church cannot accomplish as, you know, staff or volunteers or whatever we have here because you are there and God has planted you there for a reason, for a purpose. And if we and if you and if all of us together start living these lives that shine and living these lives that beg the question, I think God will start to use all of these bridges for making a difference in this community. And that's what we're about as a church. We want to see God change this community community for His kingdom, for His good, for His glory, because of every single life and every single person that is here. And this is one of the ways that I think that we can do it. I think if we can just kind of start going down this road, God is going to do amazing things. So my hope and my prayer for you this morning is that you will see that God created you and His image, and He made you a creative person. Will you follow that gifting, that, that treasure that God has given you, and use it for His glory, to serve His kingdom's purposes. Let's stand together. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, I thank You that You've designed us for a purpose. That You didn't just create us for the ability to just create something that you had a purpose and a reason in mind when you created us. I thank you that we're not accidents, that, that we aren't here by happenstance, but that you put us here on purpose, for a purpose. And Father, I pray that as we head into this week and in the weeks ahead, that you would give us a passion to live lives of purpose that you'd give us a passion to use our creativity, the, the thing that we are created with, for your glory. I pray that you would just sharpen the ideas in our minds and whatever creative ideas that you've given to us, that you would just continue to refine them in us and to, to shape them in us so that we can use them to build your kingdom, whether it's art or whether it's some kind of technology or some kind of hardware or building or whatever it may be that you would continue to refine those ideas in us and shape them in us so that we can make an impact on the unbelieving, darkened world around us by shining your light into it through what you've given to us to do. So, Father, I pray for each and every one of us that whatever it is that you've given us to do at this very moment, whatever position we find ourselves in, whatever skill we find ourselves using, that we would be the best that we can be at it because we're working for you. If it's making shoes, that we'd be the best shoemaker we can be. If it's building buildings, we'd be the best carpenter we can be. If it's working on cars, we'd be the best mechanic we can be. If it's 
working as a teacher, that we be the best teacher we can be, if it's a thousand other things. If we're working in an office and answering calls all day, that we answer those calls as best we can for your glory. If we're parenting, that we parent as best we can for your glory. Working in the medical industry as though we're working for you because you have designed us and you have created us. Father, mold our imagination and shape our imagination so that it is used for your glory for building up your kingdom. Purify our imagination away from the corruption that it was conceived in and purify it so that it can be used to to further the purposes of your kingdom. And through these things, as we work together as your body of Christ here at 6-8 Church, I pray that we would worship you on a day-in, day-out basis by the lives that we lead. That our entire being, our entire mind, heart, soul, body, and strength would be wrapped up in this desire to praise and worship our God, our Maker, for all that He has done. That we would adore Him for the way that He has made us. And Father, I pray that through these things, as we worship You in our lives, as we do everything as though we're doing it for You, that You would use our lives to build Your kingdom, not for our selfish purposes, not so that we can take the credit, not so that we can receive the glory, but so that more people may come to Your kingdom and receive Your salvation, receive Your redemption, receive Your transformation that You want to offer them, and receive the gifts that You have, that there may be more people singing Your praises, more people living lives of worship for Your glory, for Your kingdom as a result of what You're doing through each and every life here this morning at 6-8 Church. I pray these things in Jesus' name. 